Hi and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists, people of the regenerative movement or people who are committed to and showcasing planetary leadership. My name is Julian Gudelai, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Amanda Joy Ravenhill and Rodrigo Cunhas from the Rehumans team camp and group, you know, the whole, the whole good regenerative crew is, is, is on live today. And I want to plant two pictures into our mind before I introduce Amanda a little more. And that is a green planet, a planet where we deliberately plant one trillion trees to balance our carbon connection to nature. And a blue planet with a cleaned up ocean, who, which one day might be pollutant free air and water systems. And so Amanda Joy Ravenhill is the executive director of the Buckminster Fuller Institute. There's so much I could say about her, but I think most important is really her deep connection and inspiration by Buckminster Fuller himself that gave us so many um, direction signs. And so with these words, welcome Amanda. Thanks for having me on. And welcome Rodrigo. Thank you for having me again here. I love being here. <laughs> So where to start? Let's acknowledge what time it is. It is like March 26, I believe today, 2020. So we're, we're like in the midst of Corona lockdown. We're all meeting in the planes of Zoom every day. Uh, most people either practice like uh, de deliberate self-isolation or just, you know, quarantine at this point. I want to know from you, Amanda, what, what does the world right now in this state we're in, like what does the world need most? Ooh. There's so many different elements to what I call this awkward era. So um, I see this moment as kind of this, you know, kind of strange transition time where the good news is getting better around regeneration, around reforesting our land and reforesting our oceans and all that you just spoke of, uh, while also the bad news gets worse. Um, pandemics, poverty, pollution, all of these trends that are, um, continuing to degenerate our world. And I think kind of the antidote to this awkward era that will enable us to get to this regenerative future of all beings thriving is really looking at root causes. So um, people have been calling this the Corona, the Corona Copolis. Corona Copolis. Sorry, that, start that again, apocalypse. People have been calling this the Corona Apocalypse. And the apocalypse is, the meaning of that is a unveiling of a greater truth. Um, and that's kind of what we're seeing now. Like why has uh, this kind of spread of disease happened? You can look back to a degenerative world of um, you know, losing biosphere, losing uh, healthy biomes, putting humans in animals closer together where we can pass diseases to one another. And with the re-greening of the world that we are all working towards, that'll actually lower our risk for these sorts of diseases. Uh, it'll give animals and humans more space to be in their separate realms. Um, and it will also enable um, kind of the limiting of disease vectors in terms of mosquitoes and ticks and other things that are having um, a broader range uh, because of climate warming. So there's there's a lot of connections between, uh, but I think one of the ba basic root causes is a separation from nature and, and kind of a 
degenerative exploitative economy that has led us to this crisis. Yeah, in, in the sense of like, you know, root causes and our disconnection from, from nature, I'm totally on the same page. I think right now it's fascinating to see that a few weeks into lockdown on a global planetary level, some environments are naturally recovering faster than, than we might have even thought of, right? Like the immediacy of what we're seeing in the world is, is quite astounding. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of awakening happening right now. And I think it's also really important to acknowledge the tragedy of the moment. And in doing so, what that leads me to is another root cause of inequity and seeing the extreme wealth inequality in this nation and around the world and just how out of control it's gotten and how, um, just how much suffering there is that, that is completely unfair. And when you look at that, you know, in Buddhism, they say no one will be truly happy until no one is suffering. Uh, I think we're kind of seeing that now and seeing kind of the, the weakest of our population are making everyone weaker. And so, you know, as we're acknowledging the tragedy, as we are grieving that so much is being lost right now, so much opportunity is being lost that people are getting stuck in cycles of poverty. Um, that grief can actually enable us to kind of see the larger picture again and see how did we get here? What needs to be solved in order for it not to happen again? Mm -hmm. And what do you, what are the main things that you think that is happening around awakening in this very moment? And how, how do you see people connecting around uh, the planet on, on this level of trying to find solutions and what is happening now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a, a huge awakening that's been underway for a really long time. And really it's a remembering of a way that humans have lived for millennia, which is a story of connection rather than a story of separation. Um, and there's an awakening to kind of a more comprehensive systems orientation and understanding of our interdependence rather than kind of the you know predominant narrative of reductionist kind of looking at pieces of the system uh, alone as isolated parts and into this more kind of systems orientation i think you know as people are awakening there's kind of a acknowledgement that nothing will be ever be the same after this crisis and so how can we use this as a, as a teachable moment to reformat our whole economy and um, you know some of the work that we're doing at Buckminster Fuller Institute we're launching this program called Regenerosity which is a uh, a program to increase the velocity of capital to regenerative projects around the world. And we've partnered up with Lush Cosmetics and the Equator Prize from UNDP, as well as Permaculture Prize to, you know, we've all had these prize programs celebrating these regenerative projects around the world for over a decade. And now we're looking to resource them more, one with financial capital, but also to acknowledge them as wealth holders of intellectual, cultural, social capital, um, and kind of, you know, be part of that larger movement of decolonizing wealth. Um, 
and kind of showing that there's wealth holders on, on all sides. So again, there's just kind of this reorientation to what capital is, what true wealth is, which is something that Buckminster Fuller talked about a lot. He said that wealth is actually the full capacity of humans to be able to make the world work for 100% of life, not just you know, numbers on a balance sheet somewhere. Um, so I think there's, there's so much happening right now of people just reorienting um, mm-hmm. and, and reeling from this crisis for sure. And it's not to just say it's all silver linings. It's definitely my, you know, um, my orientation is I tend to lean towards into that, but it, it, it does come from like this, this reckoning of, of just how tragic things are right now. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really clear in what you're sharing. I think me personally too, I, you know, I wouldn't say naive optimism, but I, I do like to tend towards optimism after like there's acknowledgement, a form of, uh, you know, really looking at what's up and then also reconciling or, or grieving as, as well. But, but as you say, that inspires us to realize the time to put the eco back into economy. It's now, you know, and, and like, these are things that Doodle Steiner talked about, Buckminster Fuller talked about. We have some excellent leaders and researchers and authors, and the two of you among them talk about it these days. And I think, um, you know, what you're saying about true wealth being a world that works for everyone truly, or like all of life, you know, it feels so simple to me. And then at the same time, through my logical brain only, it, I, you know, there is this myriad of, um, attachments to the old world i think and and so maybe maybe that's that's an interesting question because you already talked about what we can learn from the past you know um but in this transition right now and and i'm looking at buckminster fuller institute also as like a cohesive body of work that has listened quite a while into the emerging future you know so like in this transition we're in right now as a regenerative species like what do you think are are some of the hurdles that uh, that we have to come to, to pass with, you know, in terms of integration. Yeah, so Buckminster Fuller used to speak a lot about emergence through emergency, uh, anticipating that there would be these shocks to the system where kind of things get completely um, kind of disoriented so that we can reorient in a different way. And um, I know so many people are feeling completely lost and scattered right now, rightfully so, as, as everything is coming into question and it looks like this is gonna happen, this is gonna go on for way longer than we originally anticipated. Um, yeah, I think, like you said, some of the hurdles are like, we don't even realize just how like, kind of mechanistic and reductionist and linear we are in the way that we speak with one another and the way that we look at things. Um, one of the silver linings of Corona is people are understanding exponential growth curves. Uh, people are talking about flattening the curve and, and yeah. just how quickly this can get out of hand. And we can use that as a lesson to say, look how quickly the ecological crisis is already getting out of hand. Um, you know, look at these kind of reinforcing feedback loops that can cause this runaway uh, warming of the earth. And so there's, yeah, there's opportunity in the hurdles uh, themselves, but as we identify the way that we're thinking about this crisis, how can we use that as a teachable moment to move over to a world that really upholds life, you know, and our capacity to create more life as true wealth, 
rather than these like derivatives upon derivatives of you know so much of the wealth in the world is just obscure financial uh <laughs> ponzi schemes basically um and so i think we're as we're reorienting to like what matters what are we spending our time doing uh spending time with one another and in connection i think the economy has the potential to shift uh if we kind of get our act together those of us who see that that that's a that's a possibility from here sorry there's a good point because uh we think and we know that uh, money economy is a way to organize ourselves, right? Everyone believes in a dollar bill. <laughs> Even though if you don't believe in God, you believe in a dollar bill, it's written there in God we trust. So that's because we put value on, on the money. That's how we, we, we work. That's how we behave. Uh, but that does not work for everyone in the planet, right? There's uh, around 1 billion people living below the poverty line. And this is like uh, coming up in the faces of everyone right now. Uh, I, I mean, I'm here in Brazil and then we're so worried about what's gonna happen in the favelas because there are you no know, people live like seven, eight people inside one small apartment. They actually live in the same, same room, these people. So how can you say for them like stay one meter away from other people Otherwise, you can, you know, make them sick. That's not possible. They, they don't even have running water at some point. And then we see some uh, few people uh, concentrating this lots of money and which is energy somehow. How can we redesign our financial system? What would uh, Buck Fuller say about that in this very moment? Redesign our information system? No, financial system. Oh, financial system. Capitalism. Yeah. So Buckminster Fuller wrote this book in 1963 called Education Automation, which is very, uh, very much coming true right now, where he says that we will eventually kind of automation will lead us to be uniquely human. Robots will kind of take the jobs that they can. Um, and as we are having this more um, social distancing and everything, we're seeing kind of this revolution happening within the education system. Um, he said that education would become the largest global industry. Uh, one, because of automation, but two, um, because it's, it's, it's what humans are uniquely suited to do. Uh, and so I think we're changing what we make money off of and what our economy is based on from kind of exchange and scarcity, you know, based off, I can only profit at someone else's expense to, um, to really about learning and about generosity. I think there's a huge opportunity right now to shift. And as people are doing more and more distance learning as schools are closed, uh, there's an opportunity to kind of invest in the parts of the economy that really promote these virtuous cycles of more health and more understanding of the world and more value. Um, I think, you know, he talked about having kind of like a universal basic income of sorts uh, based off of that as well, more on the scholarship side of things than an income. So instead of just giving money out to everyone, how would you be able to give a scholarship out to everyone and and our primary kind of activity as humans instead of making a living would actually be to be learning and the government would support us in doing that because it enables us to create goods and services and, and practices that are good for for the country or good for the 
for the whole globe. So I recommend people looking at that. It's a pretty short book um, written in 1963 called Absolutely. Education Automation. Education Automation. That's definitely a trend. I mean, there's a reason why even we go a little bit further in terms of education and lifelong learning, like even the coaching and transformational coaching industry is kind of came out of nowhere is because people can teach other people things, right? The same with like mentorships and time exchanges and all these ways of how peer to peer value really, yeah, it, it even trumps entertainment in some cases. And it, it goes right into one of my like favorite questions, which is which like, how would you change the education system, Amanda? Like how would, what would you do if you and, you know, if your team of experts from the, the Buckminster Fuller Institute um, could revolutionize education at large or lifelong learning, what would you guys do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're actually, uh, we've just launched our second online course at Buckminster Fuller Institute. So we're very much kind of exploring this right now. It's called Trim Tab Space Camp. Uh, the idea is to train people up as crew of Spaceship Earth. And what we're really focusing on is kind of mental frameworks. So instead of kind of teaching people what to think, we're teaching them how to think. Um, and not just one mental framework, but a wide variety of, uh, we call it cognitive scaffolding. So like this different ways of having these uh, mental models that enable you to make sense of the world in a different way than, than you did before. So it's, it's almost just as much about learning as it is unlearning all of the biases that we hold. Um, Buckminster Fuller talked about how every child who is born is an ancestor in universe time. So as children are born, they're born into a world of more knowing and more understanding and ideally less bias. Um, and so they're able to kind of leapfrog ahead. Like we hold more racism uh, than our children, but our parents hold more racism than us because there's just so much kind of being fed through culture um, around that sort of bias. And so that idea really puts children at kind of this, um, this kind of elder, you know, looking up to children as these kind of intuitive geniuses of understanding a world uh, that hasn't been kind of polluted by old mental models. Um, so really focusing one on the mental models and then two, like kind of upholding children and upholding each of us as innate geniuses, as Bucky would say. Um, and he said that the education system really de-geniuses us in the way that it's designed right now. And, um, we really need to kind of think for ourselves and always ask, how do I know what I know, you know, and, and take more of a kind of hyper empirical view of understanding the world. Our board chair, Tom Chi, teaches rapid prototyping in our course. Uh, he has a whole course that he runs um, otherwise, but he encourages you to go from a knowing mindset to a learning mindset. So like always have that, that frame of what can I learn? Uh, what do I know for sure? And how do I know it? And what else is there that I can learn around that? He also talks about moving from uh, attachment around an idea to a commitment. So a commitment towards, you know, making sure humans can be a net positive to nature. That gives you a commitment of a larger frame without an attachment to like, I know exactly how to get there. Um, and then the third piece that he talks about is moving from conjecture to actuals. Um, so instead of saying, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm pretty sure it'll work out this way because of these assumptions, really speaking from actuals, like this specific person did this in this specific way. Um, 
enables us to have kind of that hyper empirical mental model that Buckminster Fuller um, espoused and, and really held on to. So yeah, that's that's the main shift that I would put into the educational system is, is really about not just one mental model, but what are the different frameworks upon which we can understand complexity and ecology and different ways of understanding the interdependence of the world and the, the life flows, uh, the dynamic nature of the world around us. Fascinating. The way you express it is, is really like eloquent and succinct because, you know, there, there are different states of learning, like where we have to unlearn. And, and then, as you said, like if we were to regard children like Bucky did in the sense of they're born a genius, then we're starting to, to flip around this this age pyramid that, that we currently perceive um, our society through. Yeah, yeah, there's so much supremacy. Uh, age supremacy, you know, white supremacy, artist supremacy. So many of us are considering ourselves as better because of something. And I think that's all being broken down. If you look at like the root cause of the root cause of the root cause of the root cause, so much of it is, is in racism and othering and um, thinking ourselves as better than others. And so that's a huge piece of the unlearning um, and age supremacy is right, right up in there. And really, I love that you put this into perspective. We can only fully like take that in when we take a multi-generational look at it because on the spectrum of over each generation, like, yeah, even what we're creating right now, I mean, look at, look at our society. I mean, the joke usually goes if there's an alien species coming to planet Earth and they, they'd look at us or, or if it's the children of our children, if they look back and they're like, yeah, these guys, um, the, the, this homeless thing, I never understood what they did wrong. I mean, they had enough housing. Like they, had, they had a few people that needed. Like, I don't know why they never figured it out. They seem to just be that poorly evolved. You know, like we could totally look at ourselves like that, I think, already right now, because there are a few of these topics where we know if we take a lens from a, a further zoom out generationally, we'll just be like, oh, my God, really? Come on, humanity. Like, thing, things are possible. And so... I come to the follow-up question, Amanda, about trust, because I feel like a lot of things in this world move when trust is there, when trust in the people is there, when trust can be invested. And so maybe first, for you personally, like, what is required to trust? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bucky said that in the end, only integrity will count. Um, it was very central to his life work was kind of self-trust and the ability for us to, yeah, just kind of tap into what we know to be true and right. I think we're seeing that with the crisis right now is that there's actually quite a bit of people trusting one another. We are all making kind of these personal commitments to be better about quarantining, about self-isolating and social distancing um, so that we can like flatten the curve, right? And um, we're trusting in, in each other to do that. The cool thing about like, there's the flattening the curve of, of Corona and then there's the flattening curve of greenhouse gas emissions. You know, we only have so much budget out there uh, and we need to build kind of a similar core of trust that we're all gonna globally cooperate with this. The, the cool thing about that greenhouse gas curve is it actually creates these cascading benefits. You know, as we limit our greenhouse gases, we're creating uh, cleaner air and healthier people and more nutritious food with regenerative agriculture and 
you know, instead of sacrifice-based kind of collective trust, it can be about building these virtuous cycles of, of real health. Nice. Um, I remember when we were together in San Francisco, we, we had this uh, walk in the, in the park you know, during our gathering, and we had this beautiful conversation there, Amanda. And you were talking about how can we, how can we get away from this this crisis we're having right now? And uh, I was kind of uh, pessimistic, you know. And not just talking about this very moment of pandemics, but you know, as as a whole, watching the movements of humankind towards the precipice. And then I was like so depressed, and somehow you you gave me some optimism that I am carrying. And and you talked about the work you have been doing in the Buck Fuller Institute. Can you, can you give us a, a broad view of that, of how you are connecting leaders around the globe and how are their mindset evolving for us to try to find a solution? Yeah, happy to. Um, so I guess backing up a little bit from Buckminster Fuller Institute, my previous nonprofit was Project Drawdown that I co-founded and created this massive coalition of researchers around the world to determine is climate change, you know, and specifically the warming of climate change reversible? Can we get back to global cooling? Um, and the answer is yes. And we didn't know. People were kind of saying, this is how it would change your energy infrastructure, but no one had really put together the whole list of what can happen with land and food and women and girls and materials and everything um, put together. So highly recommend people checking out that drawdown.org. We actually just released a new set of numbers on the 3rd of March. Um, and if you look at 12 of the 20 top solutions that we researched, they're land and food based. And I think people just don't understand the potency of we have an excess trillion tons of CO2 in the atmosphere that needs to come down if we're going to find a stable climate and ensure that ice sheets don't melt and we don't have these reinforcing feedback loops and this runaway warming. Um, and people don't quite realize that like by putting that carbon into the ground through photosynthesis, just through increasing the amount of plant matter in, on our land and in our oceans, um, we can stabilize the, the climate system and the carbon cycle. And in doing so, we create so much opportunity. Uh, and the movement is way bigger. I mean, I'm in it and watching it every day, and I still am finding out about huge projects that I didn't know about. Um, the movement is far bigger than we can possibly fathom. Um, people are waking up to it and, and waking up to the need of kind of increasing this liquid carbon pathway, this, you know, this way that carbon goes from the atmosphere through plants and into the soil and stays there. Um, so there's just so much, there's so much going on. And, and a lot of the projects that we highlight and support at Buckminster Fuller Institute are ones that not just focus on that, but focus on women's empowerment, focus on local economies, increasing the resiliency of, um, of people and their livelihoods in these kind of turbulent and uncertain times. So there's, there's so much happening that is, um, it's hard to track. We're, we're doing our best to putting that out there with BFI. Um, but yeah, I'm, you know, people often ask like, are you optimistic or pessimistic? And I think there's, no time for pessimism anymore. It's kind of a luxury of a less urgent time. And um, 
pessimism can lead to apathy and indifferent apathy that leads to inaction and we just don't have time for that right now we need to all be kind of like right on top of it um, putting ourselves out there and, and putting all of our amazing brilliance uh, to work in this moment yeah that's that's very clear leadership thank you for that that statement and stand because i think the same way you know it, optimism as we said a little earlier it's not necessarily a, a naive response it can actually be a very deliberate response to acknowledge and then move on and lead towards as you said like this movement is already pretty big and we know it, it needs to do a lot more to literally regenerate uh, the earth the biosphere the lives with each other I think it's it's curious to see, hey, like with coronavirus, how fast and drastic actions can be. And then with the climate and all the topics drawdown related, we kind of wish the information would spread that quick to everyone and, and would enable people to be like, really? Oh, that's the matter? Then let's not do this instead. And so maybe maybe on that note, like a question about resilience, because you just you just shared about it as well. And I feel crises like what we're experiencing right now might possibly continue to happen for, for quite a bit until we really wake up to share information like, like this, uh, you know, to come into balance with our ecosystem. So what is, um, what do you think is really required for, for us as a collective um, to be resilient in the world with our current media streams and, and, and like, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is part of the Buckminster Fuller Institute where we we're rekindling what Buckminster Fuller called the design science decade. And he called for it uh, from 1965 to 75. And we just relaunched it on January 1st for the 20s leading up to um, you know, the 2030 sustainable development goals that so much of the world has already agreed to, but we don't quite have a path there. And so resilience is actually uh, one of the themes. We have five two-year phases uh, planned out and we really see resilience as being the big theme from 2020 four to 25. Obviously we're seeing it now as well, but there are gonna be shocks to the system. You know, as our temperatures continue to increase, we'll, according to the drawdown, latest drawdown numbers, the technology we have available today, the temperatures uh, will peak around 2050. And so we're gonna have extreme weather, which then causes all sorts of insecurity, food insecurity, political insecurity, et cetera. Um, and so how can we respond to those shocks by building long-term resiliency with short-term kind of response? You know, as we're um, kind of jolted, how can we really be looking towards the long-term? Like um, a team now and a team next? Say again? Like a team right now that really addresses what is here this today and this week, and then a team next that also kind of knows to have the longer term resiliency topics and timelines um, integrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and even the team now just anticipating that as we're setting up structures of mutual aid right now, that's a theme that's happening around the world. Um, how can we continue those structures, you know, and keep in mind governance models and stuff like that, that, that are more long term. Um, like in the Caribbean, a lot of the communications that's been being used right now uh, for this crisis are our systems that were set up because of hurricane response. And I think likewise, the things that we're setting up right now in terms of mutual aid and, and supporting one another will continue to be used in the coming uh, decade or so as we continue to have the, the increased, you know, uh, extreme weather and, and subsequent kind of insecurity that, that rolls out from there. 
but we need to respond in a way that also kind of regenerates our systems, right? And enables us to put more plants in the ground, to have more connectivity, to appreciate our, our interdependence. Yeah. I have one more of those big and heavy topics, but I, I feel like because we're having you on, this is important to, to ask, and it's about trash and the big picture of trash. And, you know, like this shows our interconnection in like a quite negative way mostly, but what's your take on the global uh, trash situation problem? And then again, opportunity, because we're the ones who know how to direct it back to the opportunities of leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that brings me back to the design science decade. So the final phase that we have planned out is um, this moment of the circularity. So similar to how people talk about the singularity being a moment. Um, the circularity is a moment in which all materials are now either recovered from old materials or regenerative. So we will get to the point where we're recycling everything or recovering and upcycling everything. and for that which we can't, we'll be growing it in a way that regenerates ecosystems and the communities and every system that that product touches along the way. Um, I, for one, try to buy everything, either recovered or regenerative, and it's actually not that hard. Like all the products are now available. You can have shoes make it out of ocean plastic, um, any kind of house appliance or anything that I need around, around the home, I buy on eBay. Um, there's really hardly any need in my life to buy, um, buy things that aren't either recovered or regenerative. All my food and beauty products all um, are focused on regenerative sourcing. And even, you know, even down to like the packaging, I try to always make it more on the compostable side than, than recycled and you know, try not to have any landfill. So all the options are kind of here already for us and those of us who have the ability to and um, sometimes it's not a cheaper option uh, to live in this live into the circularity but I think having that goal is is and seeing it as an inevitable moment really changes the frame um, and I think more and more we're seeing that we can be regenerative consumers as Buckminster Fuller like to call it where we're buying products that actually increase the health of the systems around us um, the North Face has a whole line of climate beneficial wool uh, clothing that's all wool that's been grown, sheep that have been grazed in a way that puts carbon back into the soil. Um, so I see there's more and more options for that. Obviously, we're in this awkward era of like recycling being totally messed up right now. Um, but partially it's because we don't have enough people saying, I'm only going to buy recovered or regenerative. Um, and so I'd love to see more people making that commitment. It's something that you can do and, and you make decisions all day, every day uh, on what you're bringing into your life. Um, let me go into another one uh, heavy topic. Uh, sorry for that, but I know uh, I love that uh, sentence from Stuart Brand that he says information wants to be free, right? And I think he had some collaboration with uh, Buck Fuller decades ago. And, and I was uh, wondering also about this, uh, that um, belief that everyone has that, okay, the planet's going to be all right, no matter what human beings are going to do eventually they will be swiped out of the, the planet, but planet Earth is gonna be all right. And I learned uh, with you, Amanda, that's not quite true. And if you don't take care, maybe all life can be gone from the planet, you know? And is this true? Uh, I never heard that before. 
and I, I did last January. Can you, can you speak a little bit about that? Because I think people should know that as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's something called Venus syndrome, uh, which is uh, kind of a runaway greenhouse gas warming effect. Um, we're not sure what Venus used to be, but it definitely uh, has so much greenhouse gas in its atmosphere that it has heated up to the point where it can't sustain life. Um, it could in like floating spaceships that were like high up in the atmosphere, if you consider that living on a planet. Um, but yeah, if we have runaway warming, we get to the point where no life can live, um, you know, thousands of degrees centigrade. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's one element to it. Another element of that is like, we are part of nature. We are part of this planet. Saying the planet can be okay without us here is kind of an oxymoron. Um, seeing us as separate from nature has caused so many of the problems that we are seeing now. Um, and then a third part of it is that we don't need to be seen as this kind of like out of control, cancerous, toxic force. Um, we can be apex healers within the like interdependent web of life instead of just these like apex predators at the top of the food chain um, destroying everything. So there's a couple of, couple different orientations there. One, Venus syndrome is possible. Two, um, we are part of nature. And then three, we have the ability to heal. Like we are genius pattern recognizers, as Bucky said, you know, we have, the, we have such capacity to to write this ship and so it just it kind of destroys me when I hear about that when I hear people saying that it's just like it's so it's reflective of all sorts of orientations of us not recognizing our our healing power and our ability to to get out of this mess like it's not as likely <laughs> you know it's if you look at linear uh, models of kind of catastrophe and collapse like things are not looking very good we are really far up the creek um, but it's still possible you know I don't even think of myself so much as an optimist as more of what Bucky said like an engineer like there is an option like the house is on fire I know the way out let's go this way like just trust that those of us who've been in this movement long enough have done the research and we know how to get out of this mess and it's so critical that we do that right now um and it just feels like i don't know it just feels like a throwaway to say oh the planet's gonna be fine we'll just be wiped out um we're so special we're unique as far as we know in the whole universe yeah it's definitely just a, a a very first step to say the planet would be fine without us but but really like the next steps as you said it, it needs to be literally understanding we have the choice whether we want to be the destructive parasitic cancerous species or if we want to like apply all the other skills and abilities um that we've been we've been talking about this episode that are clearly also of the human nature so it seems to me that even coronavirus and all these epidemics and and like turning on the heat that we're going through are you know events of awakening for more and more people to make this choice and then embody this choice in an everyday life because Ultimately, like you're saying, and if we're not the ones choosing in the way we live, in the way we stock our kitchen, in the way we treat the soil, in the way we nourish our body um, to, you know, like to live in harmony with the planet, then who, who else is going to do it for us? I think one of the big 
conundrums out there, and I'm so glad to share this while the two of you are, are with me on this episode, like, is that we're always looking outside for leadership. Even Buckminster Fuller, as a revered kind of, you know, like one of the, the heroes of our last century, but ultimately we're, we're leaving the Piscean age of needing the one leader, going into the Aquarian age of being the collective um, in, intelligence body. And so we have to really learn to take on this leadership, I believe, and really choose wholeheartedly choose and with all the logic we can bring up to to go the direction of life and to go the direction of a world that works for everyone yeah yeah we the first phase of the design science decade that we find ourselves in now is all about reconciliation and really like laying the groundwork for the next 10 years of transformation but reconciling with how did we get here um and i think speaking about bucky himself like he had whole teams of people working on every artifact that he made with him. You know, he was not making that on his own. And it's something that we're trying to propagate more uh, as we're putting his story out there is that he was not just an island unto himself, like the brilliant genius, you know, charismatic leader that we often reward. Um, but really he was, a, he was a, a dense node within kind of a whole consortia of people um, that helped him get his projects to uh, bring them to fruition. So reconciliation um, is this this moment that we're in. Reconciliation and commitments is this next two years as we see it, where we're going back to root causes, we're seeing the systems orientation, we're remembering this living system understanding of the world around us that so many traditional uh, indigenous cultures have known and practiced for millennia. and also part of that is is showing that people that we've you know kind of marginalized historically the oppressed people in the world actually have a really important position as people of um, high resiliency and that we should uphold them as leaders as resources in these super turbulent times um, yeah and the other part of that first two phases reconciliation and commitments we also see happening where people are making commitments without knowing how they're going to get there and uh, seeing that you know the need is there we might not know the path but at least we're going to say we're, we are going to get to this point by this date so we're doing this call for artists we're announcing it soon where we're inviting people to come in and join us as artists to help narrate this next 10 years of transformation we have what it takes we have the technological capability we have the creative force to transform the world and we're upholding artists as kind of the the narrators of this right like so much of our reality right now looks like sci-fi and that's partially because that's those are the future scenarios that we have available to us right the cognitive bias of the availability cascade is real like that which we have available to us the examples that are around us cascade into becoming our shared reality our vision becomes our reality and so we're inviting artists to join us in narrating this decade, these five different phases, so that we can imagine into this transformation. And the more of us kind of see it and the more of us see the interdependencies of our different paths within it, the kind of tighter the tapestry becomes of our collective future that enables all beings to thrive. Beautiful. I know that uh, Union is about to wrap up this conversation, so I'll have a quick one for you, Amanda, before we go. What is your main learning of this process we're going right now? 
At a personal level, it's been around getting more fit emotionally, um, which I think is really part of this kind of reckoning and reconciling phase that we're in is, is going through deep healing and seeing how we can use these turbulent times to become stronger, emotionally intelligent creatures that appreciate one another and appreciate where we're each coming from. So I feel like every day I'm adding more weights to like my emotional intelligence barbell and getting stronger and stronger um, for these times ahead. And then also just the combination of being able to hold, hold grief and make sure that it's useful, um, but also give time for the tragedy that we're in. There's so many people that are so insecure right now because of structural inequality. Uh, and structural racism and so much othering that's around us. And so how can we grieve that in a way that like enables us to love those people and care for them and really use this moment to address the, the root causes that got us into this mess. Um, it's so critical that we not just go back to the old system after this and, you know, enable kind of disaster capitalism to happen and, um, yeah, I just invite everyone to kind of look again at this apocalypse moment, this unveiling of this greater truth and see what, what is it that you can do personally to address these root causes and, and be part of the kind of root healing that's needed as we're moving forward. You know, what are alternative governance models that you can put into place in the different um, organizations or community organizations or companies that you're involved with? How can you take the long view instead of just looking at the kind of short-term myopic you know, quarterly profits view that we're all subsumed in. Um, and then, yeah, moving from, from scarcity towards generosity, I think is, is something that's happening to all of us and um, excited to see what the ripples of that are. Beautiful, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Amanda. And thank you, Rodrigo, also for your questions. I think um, we could keep going quite a bit longer and talk about these some of these forms of new governance or planetary innovation labs like the Buckminster Fuller Institute, like Rehumans, like Savannah House, like uh, the Frequency Village. There's, there's more and more and more and more of them starting to really identify as actually innovation labs, right? And I think from those innovation labs, hopefully, and I mean, I'm, I'm looking at both of you, uh, you know, as we're recording this conversation, we can expect more and more leadership into these yeah, I mean, you guys both said it so clearly, like these spaces that need resilience, that need emotional intelligence, that need um, also the, uh, the humble audacity to, to, lean, to lean in and forward. And Amanda, is there anything else you'd love to, to share? Anything that's coming to mind or, or some kind of inspiration or a quote that, that you'd, you'd love to share with, with all of us? Yeah, well, part of the, the design science decade that I haven't shared yet is this idea of this wave of regeneration that we anticipate happening from 2026 to 27, which is all the work that we've been doing for decades um, and all of the kind of intersectionality of it will start to weave together where the work that we're doing with intergenerational trauma healing and restocking uh, rivers with fish and you know restore, restoring ecosystems, planting trees, all of it will start to kind of combine and the latency or the delay in the system will start to catch up with us and there'll just be this flood of good news 
Um, and I know it seems so wildly optimistic and really hard to like touch that right now as everything feels like it's falling apart. Um, but I would just invite everyone, whether it's that vision or another vision, just imagine into what could it look like to have the best case scenario out of this and understand that our shared vision becomes our shared reality. Um, so yeah, I invite everyone into that, that imagination space. Beautiful, so beautifully said, our shared vision becomes our shared reality. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you so much, Rodrigo. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And that's that. Another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights, knowledge, and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life, into your relationships, or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world. Because this is a movement and we're all part of it and we're in this together. We're here to create a world of a triple bottom line where you win, I win, and the entire planet wins. We're raising consciousness together and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. Definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now, with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you and I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in, connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you and until soon.